Myself Chakras, episode 118. My country is the world. My religion is to do good. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My 7 Chakras. And now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Taker? AJ here, and you are back to your hub where we dive back into the past and provide you powerful strategies, ideas, and ways of thinking that you can use right away because the focus, as always, is on massive action. Action Tribe, this episode releases in the month of June, and time flies because we are half a year into 2016. Let me ask you this. Did you set any New Year resolutions at the beginning of this year? And if yes, are you making constant progress towards it? If you are, then it's awesome. But if not, I want to let you know that it's never too late to make a decision and get back on track. If you're committed to achieving your goal, no matter what this year then tweet out your goal on twitter or post on facebook or instagram with the hashtag my seven chakras that hashtag my seven chakras i constantly look out for action takers on social media so let's connect there let people know that you are a part of a tribe that believes in taking action no matter what the circumstances are and with that we've arrived at the moment that we've all been waiting for action tribe i am super excited to bring you our featured guest for today dr arthur sierra mccully so dr Dr. Sierra McCulley, are you ready to inspire? I am, most definitely. Wonderful. So Dr. Arthur Sierra McCulley, author of The Stress Solution, Using Empathy and Cognitive Behavioral Therapy to Reduce Anxiety and Develop Resilience, offers keys for stress reduction through state-of-the-science understanding of how we think, feel, and act. He's written many other books. Dr. Sierra McCulley is the author of The Curse of the Capable, The Hidden Challenges to a Balanced, Healthy, High Achieving life, performance addiction, the dangerous new syndrome and how to stop it from ruining your life and the power of empathy, a practical guide to creating intimacy, self-understanding and lasting love, which is now published in seven languages. His first book, Treatment of Abuse and Addiction, a holistic approach, was selected as book of the month by the Psychotherapy Book News. He is also the co-author of Beyond the Influence, Understanding and Defeating Alcoholism. So Dr. Sierra McCulley, that was a short intro about you, but take Take about a minute and tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Well, AJ, I've been in practice for over 35 years. I'm a clinical psychologist and an author. I worked in a hospital for 25 years and actually had one of the first alternative medicine centers in the state of Massachusetts in a hospital. So I'm very familiar with holistic health and looking at people in a comprehensive way, not in a a very narrow way or a symptom way. I also have been an author, as you mentioned, and, uh, and I've also been teaching over the years. But in recent years, years, the last six or seven, I've been in private practice full-time. I've also been writing and, and helping manage the, the uh, mental health site soundminds.org. And uh, I'm in full-time private practice, as I said, and I've produced a few books and, and workbooks in the last few years. Wonderful. So I can't wait to learn more about your story and the insights that you're going to share with us today. But before that, they say that a picture is worth a thousand words. On our show, we take that further by saying that a few carefully crafted inspiration 
inspirational words are worth more than a million pictures. So what is your favorite inspirational quote? And tell us how you apply this quote in your life. My favorite quote, AJ, is my country is the world. My religion is to do good. I I love that quote. I believe it was made by Thomas Paine. And the reason I love the quote is because I think it expresses compassion, understanding, and empathy for all those in the world. And it encourages us to use empathy to see beyond the surface and to know how to make connections with people that may not seem like us. But in many ways, when we uncover the surface, we realize that all people are more alike than they are different. I think that's a really powerful quote. My country is my word and my religion is to do good. It would be such a better, more positive and supportive world if all of us realize that we're not of part of separate religions or, you know, different countries. We are a part of one religion of goodness, as you mentioned. So thanks a lot for reminding us. Now let's dive in. What inspired you to write your book, The Stress Solution? Well, what inspired me, AJ, is that so many people are stressed in our culture today. And the word is used so frequently at this point. You know, 50% of Americans wake up at night due to stress. And 75% of Americans say that they suffer from stress, either physically, emotionally, on a daily basis. One in five Five people say this. We, we know from World Health Organization statistics recently that one in five people suffer in North America from extreme stress. And 75% of visits to primary care physicians in the year 2015 were due to stress. So I wrote the book because I know that stress has very much to do with the way we perceive. Because, you know, there are situations in life that cause stress for all of us. If we're in a car accident or someone who we love uh, dies or has an illness, of course, we're very stressed. But the majority of people who are stressed on an ongoing basis, it's because of the way they perceive. And empathy and perception are intimately related. Empathy teaches us to slow down our responses and to look beyond the surface of a person and to look into their heart and soul and understand their intentions and motivations. So when we perceive with empathy, when we slow down our reaction time, because empathy really teaches us to use the thinking brain and to really calm the emotional brain so that we can perceive with accuracy and not distortions. I add cognitive behavioral therapy to this approach because cognitive behavioral therapy focuses on distorted thinking, the kind of distortions that we use that don't allow us to see the truth, either about ourselves or other people. For instance, uh, people who continually uh, generalize or they use black and white thinking or they use mind reading or magnifying or catastrophizing. These are all ways of embellishing the truth and not really getting a sound basis of how to perceive and how to interact with others because we're not really allowing ourselves to know the other person and truly what their intents are. So there you go, Action Drive. 75% of people in the United States suffer from stress on a daily basis. One in five suffer from extreme stress. So this is definitely a critical situation. But as Dr. Siaramoli pointed out, stress is related to how we perceive it. So perception is really key in what we experience. So, Doctor, what are some of the reasons or factors that lead to stress in the first place? Well, you know, studies indicate right now that Americans have fewer friends. Trust has decreased as well as empathy, while prejudice has increased. And we've become a society that's placing a great emphasis on achievement, status, and appearance. In 
far less on character and relationships. You know, people from all walks of life have been discovering what they thought would bring them happiness and contentment has caught them in an emotional prison that is stress-filled and energy depleting. And many people have learned how to achieve, especially competent, intelligent people, but they don't know how to love and make lasting, deep friendships. Mm -hmm. And this lack of love and relational connections is the missing ingredient that plagues their lives. Interesting. Now, I've heard that not all stress is bad for us. Some level of stress is actually good, but the challenge is when that becomes chronic stress. So, for someone listening to this episode right now, how can she assess whether she is experiencing stress or that stress that's actually bad for the body? Well, you know, a little stress produces a minor amount of the stress hormone cortisol and it kind of gets us excited and able to focus uh, like when before you're playing in a tennis match or a racquetball game or, or some other activity that really means a lot to you. But when you're stressed on an ongoing basis, it means that you are producing the, the hormone cortisol. And the, when you produce the stress hormone cortisol, it limits our capacity for empathy while also causing repetitive negative thinking. And it also causes, in addition to it to causing negative thinking, it also causes weight gain, inflammation, hair loss, it breaks down muscle tissue, causes flabbiness, depression, anxiety, and most importantly, it causes memory loss. You know, cortisol kills neurons in the memory center of the brain. So if you're having any of these symptoms, you you know that you're probably having what we call the perpetual stress response. You're perceiving too much stress on a daily basis. And, you know, I wrote one of the chapters on prejudice in the book, and I was so happy that the publisher allowed me to do that because, for instance, when we have several prejudices and we encounter people that we don't feel comfortable with or whether conscious or unconscious, but we begin to experience a degree of stress, we're walking through almost like a minefield in life because if you have several prejudices, you're producing cortisol in an ongoing basis. And it's when we realize, again, as I said in our opening discussion, that we are all more alike than different. When we realize that and when we connect with others that seem diverse at first, but may not be of the culture or religion that we come from, but when we're open to engaging others and we know how to make empathic, deeper connections with others, we reduce stress significantly. But when we walk through life sort of only sticking to our own clan or the kinds of people we grew up with and we fear all people who are outside of our immediate circle or we're critical of them or in our current climate sometimes we hate them and even want to harm them physically it is extremely destructive to our physiology and to our brain so one thing that you clearly mentioned is these constantly held prejudices or preconceived notions that we may have within our minds. That's what creates the perpetual stress response. A little bit of stress is not bad for you. In fact, especially for athletes or high performers, that stress helps them take their performance to a whole new level. But if you constantly worry about that stress, it's always in your mind. It's like you're walking through a minefield of stress and that is not really good for you. Now, doctor, I know that you hinted about this a while back and you talk about this in your book, but what is empathic CBT? Well, empathic CBT is the combination of empathy. And empathy is the capacity to understand and respond to the unique experiences of another. It's basically everyday mind reading. It's being able to look beyond the superficial and into the heart and soul of another human being. CBT focuses on cognitive distortions that we use when we misperceive other people or situations. So the combination of both is very powerful. And it also involves brain science because empathy produces 
the calming neurochemical oxytocin. And oxytocin really is the opposite of the stress hormone cortisol. You know, it reduces anxiety. And in fact, it reduces cortisol levels. Oxytocin helps us live longer. It helps us aid in recovery from illness and injury. It promotes a sense of calm and well-being. It increases generosity, protects against heart disease, modulates inflammation, reduces cravings for addictive substances, which is very important. And it creates bonding and an increase in trust for others. So it decreases fear and it creates a sense of security. And when we have that sense of security and trust, we're able to make connections with people from all walks of life. Wonderful. Now, doctor, what is your definition of empathy and how is that different from sympathy? Because I feel those two terms are somewhat confused sometimes. Yes, they often are confused, AJ, because empathy is different than sympathy in this sense. Sympathy rushes in to console. Empathy takes its time to understand. I'll give you an example, for instance, of a patient of mine the other day. She lost her father. Her father passed away a year ago and she was very close to her dad and she was devastated by the loss. Then she is living in this neighborhood that she hasn't been in for very long and she heard that a woman uh, a few houses down from her, her father had died. So she was very distraught when she heard this news and she put together a basket of food and bought some flowers and brought it over to this woman and rang the doorbell. And when she rang the doorbell, the woman answered and she said, oh my God, I know you don't, I know, don't know you very well, but I'm so sorry. You must be devastated with the loss of your father. I know how you feel because I, my father died a year ago and I was devastated. And the woman looked at her and she said, my father left us when I was two years old. So I never met my father and my father never returned. I wouldn't know my father if I saw him walking down the street. So I appreciate your kindness, but I'm not devastated at all. You see, that was sympathy. That was rushing mm. in based on our identification of our own experiences rather than trying to enter the world of another and find out what the facts are. Empathy is very fact-oriented. It's very objective. And it is not a quick response. It's a slow response until we ascertain the facts. Love that explanation. You mentioned that sympathy rushes in to console based on our preconceived notions or our prior experiences. Empathy, on the other hand, objectively first understands the situation, understands the facts and seeks to then help out once person understands the background, understands the context. So thanks for that clarification. Now, in your book, you speak about old negative stories and that leading to stress. My question is, how does somebody get rid of those old negative stories that might be collected in their subconscious, in their mind, that might be knowing or unknowingly creating that stress or anxiety in a person's life? Oh, that's a very critically important question, AJ, because early in life, we create a novel, a fictitious story about ourselves that Mm. we write based on what we think is being reflected back to us from those around us, as if we're looking at ourselves in a mirror. But if the mirror you're looking into is cracked or inaccurate, you get a distorted view of yourself, as you would if you were looking in a circus mirror. As a result, you create an inaccurate story about yourself, and this story sets the stage for an irrational belief system about yourself. We cannot change the story alone, however, because we're all too subjective. So we need a group of people in our lives that'll give us honest feedback so that we can obtain an accurate view of who we are today, a more objective account than the one we came to believe earlier in life. I always try to teach people that, you know, we come into adulthood in a sense with a fiction, a a fiction, a novel story about ourselves, and we have to rewrite it. We have to edit it and make it a nonfiction account. And to do that, we have to get feedback from people that we trust who are willing and courageous enough to be honest with us and tell us who they think we are. And we, and when we're in relationships like that, when we give and receive empathy in close relationships, we come to 
know who we are and we can give up some of that old story that has really produced an inordinate amount of stress that we certainly don't need and is not healthy. Interesting. So it's based on what you shared, I think it's genuinely getting to know oneself as opposed to believing the narrative or the story that's playing in our mind's uh, theater, so to speak. Yes, that's why I wrote a chapter on self-talk because the way we talk to ourselves really determines our mood and we tend to live according to our mood and we tend to eat according to our mood and we tend to exercise or not exercise according to our mood and if our mood is off we don't tend to relate in very appropriate ways either so the way we talk to ourselves is very important but we have to realize that the way we talk to ourselves we have internalized the way we thought other people felt about us early in life and when we come into adulthood with those old hurts when we're still carrying them forward that's where we misperceive not only ourselves but others and being able to perceive accurately as as I said earlier is the key to reducing stress because that old biased thinking based on early conditioning distorts reality and causes unnecessary tension so it's not easy to change self-talk but there are ways I, I have exercises as you know at, at the end of each chapter in the book where I ask people to I tell many stories of clients that I've worked with and I ask the reader to indicate which person you might identify with which kind of distortion that have you used in your life what are you going to do to change it and at the end of each chapter there's a take action meaning that I really advise people a little exercise to do with other people so that they can take an action that starts to record a change in the brain because once we start changing the way we talk to ourselves we it's, it's sort of like when you have an album you have this like 22 songs that you repeat over and over again about yourself I'm not pretty I'm not handsome I'm not intelligent I'm not athletic whatever it is I'm not a good musician all of these things that we say to ourselves that, that are so familiar and when we become incredibly familiar with them instead of playing all the songs in the album we can lift the needle and say what am I doing you know this is what I always do to myself and I'm only stressing myself producing more cortisol needlessly and I don't have to do this what who am I today and that's why at the end of the book I have a chapter who on who am I and how do you come to know the authentic self how do you come to know who you truly are not based on old conditioning but based on the feedback that you get from people that you trust and value in your current life so there you go action tribe the stress solution the book not only contains stories and excerpts from people who have used these principles to change their lives but exercises that you can do yourself and with others as well because only when you do the work can you experience that shift now doctor i have read that you've developed this approach over 35 years of working with clients who were struggling with depression anxiety and addiction so how did you first enter this field i'm curious well you know i <laughs> i struggled a bit as a young person or more than a bit i was not a great um, high school student and when i was graduating from high school if i could tell you a quick story they used to put uh, 10 people uh, 10 kids uh, who were graduating their picture in the paper every night and indicate in the local paper and where they were going to college or whether they were going in the service or whatever and i had got scholarships to some lesser known uh, colleges to actually play football because i was athletic my guidance counselor called me down and told me that they weren't going to put my picture in the paper indicating that i was going to this particular college and i asked him why and he said well you're not college material you know you're you're an athlete you don't do very well in school you skip school a lot you don't have a good academic record you're only going to go to college and flunk out and embarrass your family your community and your school so he gave me five or six brochures the army the navy the coast guard the marines and he told me to go home and discuss this with my parents and come in the next day and decide which one i might want to choose so i went home and i went to actually my parents had a small furniture store in our little town and i went there and i told my father what had happened i said i'm, I'm not going to go to college i'm not going to do that i'm not going to take that scholarship because mr martin says that i i'm 
I'm not really college material. And my father said, well, we're going to go in and talk to him tomorrow. And I said, I absolutely do not want you to do that. I was very, my father was a very intense man, a former OSS army person, you know, forerunner to the CIA. And when he wore a suit, it was either for a funeral or a wedding. And he wore a suit that next morning when we went in to talk to Mr. Martin. And when he went in, and this is where I learned, I learned empathy and also how certain young people can be misguided. Mr. Martin went on and on and on talking about why he thought I shouldn't go to college and why he thought certain parts of the service were better for me. And my father, rather than reacting or defending me, just kept listening and nodding and nodding and nodding. in, In those days, they used to put their degrees on the wall. So we had a big bachelor's degree on the wall, and then he had a big master's degree on the wall. And I noticed my father kept looking up at these degrees. So at the end of about 40 minutes of this talk, and it was mainly a monologue on Mr. Martin's part, uh, my father got up and he shook his hand, shook Mr. Martin's hand, and he said, uh, you've really helped me. Now you've made me understand whether my son should go to college or not. I thank you very much. And Mr. Martin said, well, I'm glad you understand my, my point of view, and I'm glad we can pick one of these uh, it, the parts of the service. And my father said, oh, he's not going to the service. He said, I've never really talked to a college man, but I've spent 40 minutes listening to the way you think, and you not only have one of those college degrees, you've got two of them. So I realized now my son can go to college. Mm-hmm. Totally. One of the challenges what I've uh, seen as well with traditional schooling is even today they judge students by the same measuring stick. And what's interesting through your story is that initially you were apprehensive, you were scared of your father going and, you know, walking into your school, but your father kept listening and nodding and nodding. And that's, I think, such a powerful skill to have instead of just expressing your opinion, listening, understanding, and showing that empathy so that the other person knows it subconsciously. Yes, my father was displaying empathy in the sense, AJ, that he did two important things that we do when we're being empathic. He he was responding slowly, he wasn't being defensive, and he was asking open-ended questions to try to get an understanding of what this was all about. And when he got enough information, he made a thoughtful decision. So, he was displaying how to be empathy, to slow down, to ask open-ended questions, to not assume that you know that where a person is going, but take the time to listen empathically. And in the book, I have a chapter on empathic listening because I think it's critically important to being successful personally or professionally. We need to know how to listen to understand really the circumstances that we're encountering. But also, I was learning how a person who had made up their mind very quickly by looking at a person on the surface could be unempathic and be guiding someone in a very different way than they should be. I mean, he was, this person was not teasing out my potential as a young person. He was actually putting a lid on it. And really, I believed him. I mean, he was the authority figure. I wasn't. And I wasn't a particularly good student at the time. I wasn't particularly confident about my abilities to excel in the academic world. So, Doctor, I'm sure by now that all the people listening to this episode right now have this one question on their minds. How do I use empathic CBT to reduce stress and experience a calm, focused energy. Is there a simple technique or tip that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I think this book really is a sequel to my original book, The Power of Empathy. And it's very focused on how to use empathy to reduce stress and how to use empathy combined with understanding the cognitive distortions that we learned early in life due to old bias 
conditioning and to unlearn them. And what I try to emphasize in this book is that anything that's learned can be unlearned. No one's born misperceiving and no one's born with prejudices and anxieties about different kinds of people because they look different uh, or they come from a different culture or a different religion. You know, my da- our daughter is a kindergarten teacher and she always says, she, right now she has 22 students and I think 11 of them are from other countries. And it's fascinating because she says that, you know, if you watch them in the playground at, in kindergarten, they all love each other and the boys are just as empathic as the girls. They hug each other. They don't know where you, they don't care where you come from or what the color of your skin is or what your religion is. They all get along very well. But she said, you know, what's very disheartening is as you see them go on in in school, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, you start to see the differences. You start to see them stick to their own clan or you start to see them be a little biased. And of course, that's where all that conditioning comes from. We're born with goodness. You know, as you know, I have a chapter in the book on goodness and how giving people People who are giving are 10 times healthier than people who are takers and just receivers. In fact, it's much healthier to be giving than it is to receive, and it produces that wonderful hormone oxytocin. But what I'm trying to do in this book is give people the tools. You don't have to go see a psychologist necessarily, but if you use the exercises and the information, you will continually be working on your way of perceiving, your way of perceiving yourself and your way of perceiving other people. And the better you get at it, the better you are at really knowing who you are and knowing who other people are, you are going to be more successful. You're going to be more comfortable in your own skin and you're going to be more successful in terms of making and establishing and maintaining intimate relationships, knowing how to love another person. But not only that, you know, the Harvard Business Review did a a study on who are the most successful corporate managers in the country and who they are. They are the people who make other people feel heard and make other people feel understood. And that is the cornerstone of empathy. So people like Stephen Covey would talking about empathy years ago, saying it's the most important ingredient in business because you have to make people feel understood and you have to understand them as well if you want to establish contracts and business relationships with them that are going to be successful. Well, thanks a lot for sharing that. Action Tribe, to access the show notes for this episode, visit my7chakras.com forward slash 118. That's my7chakras.com forward slash 118. As long as we are persistent in our pursuit of our deepest destiny, we will continue to grow. We cannot choose the day or time when we will fully bloom. It happens in its own time. Now, this is a powerful quote by Dennis Waitley. Action Tribe, the difference between those who are living their purpose and those who aren't, based on my experience, is that people who have identified their direction enjoy the journey. They enjoy every minute, every hour, and every day. They always live in the here and now instead of constantly worrying about not getting there soon enough because that creates the stress. When that happens, Action Tribe, your whole perspective shifts. And before you know it, your time will come and you will enjoy that very moment as well. Because Mr. Waitley once said, it happens in its own time. So doctor, let's go back to a time when you faced a major challenge. Firstly, how did you approach that difficult situation? And then how did you overcome it? Well, you know, probably the most difficult situation I've ever faced in my life, AJ, and it's still difficult to talk about is that my brother, my younger brother, he was four years younger than I. And when he was 23 years old, he overdosed on, on heroin. And um, from all indications, uh, he it was intentional. And uh, my brother led a very difficult life, and I was the last person to talk to him. And when I talked to him on the phone, uh, he was living in Europe at the time, in Amsterdam. 
And when I talked to him, and I could tell that he was very distraught, I was trying to encourage him to come back to the United States. And he had been involved in a, in a robbery, so he was wanted, and he was hesitant to come back. And instead of my listening to what he was really saying, instead of my listening carefully, I gave him a sort of pep talk. You can do it, and I, you'll be okay. And I wasn't really comprehending the fear that he was talking about. I wasn't looking beyond the surface, and I wasn't encountering him in an empathic way. And what I've learned over time, is that that inability of mine to really delve into what he was saying, uh, I don't know whether that would have saved his life or not, but from that moment on, I, I really became committed to learning how to understand people be, in between the words, beyond the surface of what they're saying, into the heart and soul of what they're trying to communicate. And that was the beginning. I mean, that's why I wrote the book, The Power of Empathy. It starts with my brother's story. Interesting. So looking back now, in just one sentence, what is that one major life lesson that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I think that story it was my major life lesson. And I don't know what the answer would have been if I had listened from a more empathic place. But I can tell you, I've dealt with many, many people over 35 years who were in the same state of mind. And when I listened empathically, they did not harm themselves. And I know that, you know, people have told me that people are coming to see me in my practice. And many times they've said, oh, this person won't talk to you or that person won't talk to you. But I can tell you, when you listen from an empathic stance, what one person had, uh, a theologian had called holy listening is listening another person's soul into a position of disclosure and discovery. When you're able to do that, you will always have close friends. You will always have people who want to be with you and you will be giving something to others that will be life enhancing to yourself. So firstly, thanks a lot for sharing this story. You mentioned that your younger brother at a very young age overdosed on heroin. He was very hesitant to come back home at one point. He was scared and stressed out. You tried to help him and support him, but you realized uh, in retrospect, that you weren't being empathic at that point. And you took this really as a cue to help people around you by learning how to read between the lines. I think that's really inspiring. Thanks a lot for sharing. You're welcome. And Action Tribe, one of the biggest differences between a man and an animal is the power of our minds. As we are learning today, our minds allow us to think, calculate, process, visualize. If you ask some of the most successful people, they would surely tell you that at some point in their life, they spent a lot of time creating those big goals, visualizing their ideal lives and dreaming about what that life would feel like. And that's probably why Pamela Walt star once said, reach high for stars lie hidden in your soul. Dream deep for every dream precedes the goal. So Dr. Siramoli, have you found your life's calling? And if yes, what is your life's calling? Well, I believe my life's calling is to help people expand their range of empathy because I'm very troubled by the state of our world. And I think when we develop empathy, we see beyond the surface and we can make connections with people that we don't understand initially. And I think having more empathy and compassion in our world today is critical to all of us getting along and to having international peace. Now, as you look back at your life, was there ever a special moment beyond which you knew without a doubt that your life was going to change? Take us back to that very instant. Well, I think when our first daughter was born, that was a life-changing event for me. And I, I think being a father, being a parent, having the privilege of having a child was an incredibly wonderful experience and continues to be. And today we have our first grandchild. She's two years old, who's named after my mother, incidentally. And she's just a joy. And I think being around children... Is 
has been a, a wonderful experience for me. I just love being around children because I think when we look through their eyes, we can be out in the yard and they're fascinated by a leaf or a squirrel or a, a different kind of a blackbird. Uh, they see the world in ways that they are grateful. Mm-hmm. And we, as we grow and get into this very fast-paced culture that we participate in, we lose that. And when you're around children, you have an opportunity to regain it. So those moments with children, my own and with my grand child are just uh, life enhancing so firstly congrats on having a new birth a new being a new life into your family it's so true when we see children in front of us they are so amazed and awestruck by the natural beauty around them and as adults sometimes we take all of those magical phenomena that happens around us the rising of the sun the setting of the sun the blooming of the trees we take all of that for granted but every time we see that child we get a glimpse into what life should be like and as you share the story i remember a research that was conducted when a mother gives birth to a child or whenever you hug a child for example, example oxytocin is secreted is that correct yes correct mm-hmm. the love hormone so thanks a lot for sharing and this brings us to the last and final round for today's show it's a rapid fire round that's called the wisdom round are you ready yes i'm ready great what's the best advice that you have ever received believe in yourself and don't allow negative thinking to thwart your ambition and to keep trying and to put one foot in front of the other and eventually you will get there if it's really your calling name a personal habit that keeps you going exercise and prayer so doctor what is your morning ritual like what do you do during the first 2 hours of your day well i train myself the night before to wake up positively i have my exercise gear with me i do a spinning class first thing in the morning and then i eat a good breakfast i do some reading uh, some meditating and then i begin my day but my day always starts with prayer and exercise. So I know the next question is going to be a bit challenging because you might have read so many books but what is one book that you'd like to recommend for our listeners? Uh one book I would pick The Art of Happiness by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Beautiful. We'll have all these resources up in the show notes. Action Tribe to access today's show notes visit my7chakras.com/118 that's my7chakras.com/118. So doctor thank you so much for joining us today. Before you go tell us one thing that you're grateful for and also tell us the best way we can find you. I'm grateful for the opportunity to give to others because I've been given so much myself in my life. I think the fact that I was born in the United States and I have the opportunities that I have where there are so many people troubled throughout the world. I think that's what grace is. I I was given opportunity. I didn't earn it. I was given it. And I know many people do not have that opportunity. Uh in terms of reaching me, my website is balanceyoursuccess.com and the book The Self Solution can be bought online at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or my publisher New World Library Wonderful. We'll have both these links up in the show notes. Your website, balanceyoursuccess.com, as well as your book. We'll have that so that people can take the next step and learn more about how they can realize some of the stories that are hidden in their mind, stories that are not really serving them. Understand how they can use empathy—not sympathy, but genuine empathy—to build those relationships with people and make them stronger ties. And also how they can use these principles and use these techniques. to reduce stress in their lives so that they can experience that flow and really live life to the fullest just like kids do when they look at the beautiful nature around them so thank you so much for coming on our show teaching us how to reduce stress and taking us one step closer to a human revolution oh thank you very much aj it was a pleasure to interact with you i appreciate the opportunity 
seven chakras. Go to my S-E-V-E-N chakras.com. Download your free gift, get inspired, and take action. Transform your life today. 